All right. All right. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Uh, we are going to finish up a section uh, that we have covered in the last couple weeks. Uh, in, we, we've seen in chapter 8, uh, chapter 9, and chapter 10, he had a better covenant than a better sanctuary last week. And now tonight, we're going to look at a better sacrifice, a better sacrifice. At the top of your notes, at the top of your notes, you'll see as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, uh, we found out in chapter one that Jesus, oh, anyway, let me stop. Let me stop. Let's pray because some of y'all are, are new tonight and I need to catch you up on everything. So let's pray and I'll let you be seated. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for the opportunity to come around like-minded people to study your word, to grow, to develop, to be edified, encouraged, even be challenged and convicted. Lord, I pray that whatever we stand in need of, you'll give it to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to, and don't let me forget anything I need to. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, every word that's said, every sentence that's formed, I pray it'll be anointed. And God, will thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. You may be seated. You may be seated. Here's how we're going to do tonight. Uh, usually, usually when I, we are doing a, a, a study or, or even just a, 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 a normal sermon on a Sunday, I'll read through the chapter or read through the set of verses, the text we're going to study, then we'll pray and then you sit down and then we start. Well, we're going to try to cover the whole chapter tonight, so we're going to forego reading it first and just read it as we go through the study. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now, uh, for you new guys uh, in here, that this is you hadn't been here on Wednesday night throughout the study, the book of Hebrews is an encouragement to a group of Jewish believers who were going through great trial of affliction. Uh, this was before the destruction of the temple, so it was before 70 A.D., the temple was still up. Jesus had already died. He had risen again. He had ascended back up into heaven. And this is a time period between the ascension of Christ in heaven and 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. So the church has been formed. The church is on a roll. The church is growing. The church is expanding. But there's a, there's a, a, a bunch of Jewish people who are new believers, but they're struggling because of the persecution they're going through. And they're being tempted to go back to the religion they had before Christ. If that makes sense, say amen. They're being tempted to go back to the temple. They're being tempted to go back to the sacrifices. They're being temp tempted to go back to the, the priests that they have always known their whole life. Uh, they've just been tempted to go back. Now, the book of Hebrews is written to this group of people. And throughout the book, we found out that this writer, uh, I believe it's Apostle Paul. I just do. I believe it's the Apostle Paul. We cannot dogmatically say that, but I just believe that's who it was. But either way, either way, uh, he is writing to this group of people to encourage them and let them know that what they have now is what? Better than what they had then. 
Chapter one, we found out that Jesus is better than the prophets. Chapters one and two, Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter three, he's better than Moses. Chapter four, he's better than Joshua. Chapter five, or five through nine, he's better than the high priest. Now keep in mind, the high priest was the most revered person in Israel. Okay, he was the one that was the closest to God than anybody. He was their closest connection to God, but Jesus was even better than him. He was greater than him. Now, chapter 10, we see he's greater than the law and the sacrifices. So that's where we're at uh, tonight. He is better than the sacrifices. We're going to take it one section at a time. Uh, The first section is going to be verses one through four. So we will read through that. And then we'll give you the points and go from there, all right? And the first thing, the first thing I see in in the first section is a problem. There is a problem. Look in verse number one. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, say that, never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, Make the comers thereunto perfect or complete. For then would they not have ceased, uh, uh, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if it got the job done, wouldn't they have quit offering? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a what? A remembrance, again, made of sins every year. For it is not possible. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should what? Take away sin. sin. Here's what I want you to write down. What was the problem with the old way? What was the problem with the old sacrifices? Well, the first thing we see is that the old sacrifices was just a shadow, not the substance. All right? It was a shadow, not the substance. In other words, in other words, Every, all throughout the Old Testament, you remember what God was doing. You remember what God was doing in the Old Testament. He was using pictures. He was using the, the types. He was using the different feasts and the sacrifices to do what? To point to Christ. Are y'all with me? From the very first messianic prophecy... In the very beginning, in, the, in, in Genesis, when man sinned in the garden, God confronted their sin. He dealt with the serpent, right? And he said that the, the seed of the woman, in reference to Christ, will bruise your head. Will but, in other words, destroy you. A head wound was destroyed in that day. So he is saying, one day, there's coming a Messiah that's going to deal with you. Are y'all with me? We know that's Christ. So from that point on, all through the Old Testament, God gave them festivals, God gave them feasts, God gave them sacrifices, God gave them certain things in the tabernacle to do nothing but point them to Christ. Listen, Christ was the substance. All right, Christ was the substance. If the if the light is shining on Christ in front and in, in, in front of him will be what? The shadow. And throughout the Old Testament, all, it, all those sacrifices was the shadow. But the substance was Christ. Are y'all with me? The substance couldn't get the job done. It was just a shadow. It was just a type. Does that make sense? All right, that's the first problem. That's the first problem. Verse 1. 
says that the old sacrifices was a shadow, not the substance. It wasn't the real thing. It was pointing to that. Now, B, there was a constant reminder of guilt. There was a constant reminder of guilt. Look at verse 2 and 3. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, but because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, remembrance again made of sins every year. In other words, every year that high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies with the sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And it reminded them every year that they were guilty of sin. That's, that, that mercy seat in the Holy of Holies cried out for blood, cried out for blood. And when, when that, that high priest would bring in the blood of a lamb and put it on that mercy seat, it would say covered. There's a difference between covered and take away, all right? Covered means to temporarily appease the wrath of God towards sin. In other words, when, when, when your sin is covered, God is saying, I'm holding off judgment on your sin for another year. You have another year. But guess what you got to do again at the end of that year? Another sacrifice. That mercy seat cried out for sacrifice every year. Sacrifice every year. Sacrifice every year. And because of that, it constantly reminded the, the, the people bringing the sacrifices that they were guilty sinners. That's a problem. Listen, the old sacrifices couldn't take away. They only covered. Does that make sense? All right. Now watch. Here's the third problem. We see that the sacrifices was just a shadow, not the substance. There's a constant reminder of guilt. And there's an insufficient, they were insufficient to take away sin. It says in verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should what? Take away sin. They could not remove sin from us. They could only temporarily cover our sin and hold off the judgment of God upon sin. Now, that's the problem, verses 1 through 4. Now, we're going to go through this quick, guys, because we got a lot of sections to cover, so, so don't expect too much preaching on each part. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory anyway, but anyway, uh, we see a problem. How many of y'all are glad? How many of y'all are glad that anytime there's a problem, God always has a provision? Matter of fact, God provides the provision before there's a problem. And I'll show you that in a minute too. Yeah, that's good right there. Oh, yeah. Verse 5. Let's look at the provision. Verse 5. We see the problem, verses 1 through 4. Verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that's Jesus at the incarnation when he was born in Bethlehem. Y'all with me? The, the baby, when Christ was born, when he came into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. This is Christ. I come. And guess what? 
in the volume of the book it's written to me. You know what he's saying? All through the Old Testament talks about me and my coming. They should have known. He said the volume of the book speaks of me. I come to do thy will, O God. I come to do thy will. Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, let's talk about that. First of all, the provision God made, we, I mean, it's obvious. We all know that it's Christ. It's Jesus. He provided Christ to be that sacrifice. John said when Jesus was baptized, after he was baptized, when he was, he was presenting him to the nation of Israel, he said, behold the... Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Christ is the provision. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. This reflects God's will. This reflects God's will. This is what I want you to see. You remember a couple weeks ago, I told you that, that God just kind of woke me up and, and, and put in my heart and my spirit that Jesus was not a, a, say it again. Jesus was not a, backup plan. He was the plan. All right. Him coming into this world was the will of God. It was the will of God. Let me give you two verses. First Peter 1.18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before, say that with me, the foundation of the world. It was planned before God said, let there be light. Before God created this earth, before God created man, before man ever had a chance to sin, before they ever fell, before there was ever a problem, God had already provided a solution. His provision. I don't think y'all get it. <clears throat> Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lambs, what? Slain from the... Jesus' coming was not a backup plan. Listen, the old sacrifices, God didn't all of a sudden say, well, I, we tried that. That didn't work. Let's try that. No, 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 no. Jesus was always the plan. It was always God's will that his son come and give his life for our sins. All of those sacrifices, listen, all of the, the deaths of those animals was simply to point to God's perfect plan and God's perfect will in his precious son. All right? God's provision reflects his will. It was his plan. Then B, God's provision replaces the old system. Now, let me, let me say this. Let me say this. I, I need to explain a couple verses. Turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number one. Isaiah chapter number one. 
because this is this is what this is what uh, verse number eleven. You said in these verses, God is saying He wasn't happy with the sacrifices, right? Isn't that what it said? He was not pleased. Now, but it was his idea. The sacrifices was exactly what he told Moses to put together and established at Mount Sinai. So if it was his idea and he's the one to come up with these sacrifices, why was he not happy with them? Why was he displeased? Why did he come to the point that he brought forth Christ? Here's the deal. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. When you get there, say amen. amen. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs or of goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain, oh, vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbath. Now, guess what? He's listing all these things he commanded them to do. All of these things they were supposed to do according to the, the law. Are y'all with me? So technically on the outside, they are following the, and it's making him sick. Watch. These calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. I'm done with it. It's iniquity, even the solemn meetings, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are. Say, preacher, what's going on? Here's the thing. There's two components to the sacrifices. The outward obedience and the inward humility. Now, everybody look at me. You can bring all the sacrifices you want, but if your heart's not right, it's just ritual. These people, these people were still bringing the lambs. They were still bringing the calves. They were still bringing the sacrifices. They were still keeping all the Sabbaths. They were still keeping all the rules, but their heart was not with God. They were going through the routine. It had become ritual, and God said, I'm sick of it. And listen, that happens in the churches every week. Coming in here and going through the rituals, going through the motions, singing the songs, saying the prayers, and going out and living like hell itself. Thinking they've done something by showing up at church. Sitting in church thinking about who they're going to meet that evening. Let me tell you what God says. It makes me sick. The very thing that he ordained, the very thing that he came up with, this was his idea, this was his plan of people approaching God, and they, it became an outside 
ritual that did not affect the Oh, yes. You remember, you remember when Saul, you remember when Saul uh, was commanded to destroy, destroy the, the, the army he was facing, the king, everything. And he kept all the best calves and all the best animals. He was confronted by Samuel. He said, what is this? I thought you did what? Why didn't you do what God told you? He said, oh, yeah, I did what God told me to do. He says, what's all this out here in the background? What is all this, these lambs and these cows out here? He said, oh, oh, oh. He said, we just kept them to sacrifice to the Lord. And you know what he said? This was what he said. Obedience is better than sacrifice. What is he saying? I'd rather have your obedient heart than the sacrifices you're offering. And with the nation of Israel, it had become so corrupt and so ritualistic and so outwardly that God says, I hate it. That's what those verses mean. Was it because the law was bad? No, the law was good. Was it because the sacrifices were inappropriate? No, they were completely appropriate. But you cannot bring a sacrifice without a broken heart. Amen. Go read what David said in Psalm 51. A broken and contrite heart is the sacrifice God's looking for. Now, what can we take from that? How do we apply that? If you're going to have a wicked heart, and you're going to have a surface religion, don't waste your time with the surface religion. Don't waste your time with the ritual. Don't waste your time showing up to church. Don't waste your time carrying around a Bible. Don't waste your time putting on a bracelet. What would Jesus do if you're going to go out and play the whoremonger in the streets? He says, my soul hateth. God replaced that whole system because it, com- it had become completely outward. Verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9. Listen, if, if, you're, if you're upset now, you're really going to be upset in a little bit, so you might as well get used to this. Look, verse 8 and 9. When he said, Sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Now, does everybody understand why? Because there was no inward, the inward did not match the outward. Yes, they brought the sacrifice, but their heart wasn't with him. Y'all with me? Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. That's the, the, the sacrificial system, the Old Testament covenant, the old way, the temple, the, the, the priest, everything. He took all that away that he may what? Established a second, established the new covenant, established the new relationship with God. Verse 10, so we see God's provision reflects his will. God's provision replaces the old system. God's provision, I love this one, it sanctifies the believer permanently. Permanently, verse 10. By the which will we are, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Say it with me. 
Now, there's two things you need to understand about this. Sanctified means holy. It means holy. It means set apart. All right? The moment you got saved, you were sanctified. You were deemed holy. Now, there's two parts of sanctification. There is your present standing or your positional sanctification. Say that with me. Your positional, in other words, your position where you stand with God. Your position with God. The moment you get saved, the moment you become a believer, the moment you repent of your sins and turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, that moment God deems you holy. He sanctifies you. And in his eyes, you are perfectly holy. And positionally, you will be holy till you make it to heaven. Your standing with God will never change. You will be holy in his eyes till you make it to heaven. But there's a practical, there's a practical side of sanctification. You can be in a right standing positionally with God, but not in a right practice. The whole, the whole, I say the whole, the, the majority of the church in Corinth, positionally they were holy. Positionally they were, they were in the kingdom, but practically they were living wrong and they had issues and it affected their relationship with God. So what am I trying to say? Listen, our, our, practical and practicing sanctification needs to match our positional sanctification. That's why he said, be ye holy for I am holy. We need to be clean. We need to be right. We need to be set apart. We need to understand that the moment that we get saved, our bodies are no longer the instruments of the devil. They're no longer the instruments of sin that we surrender and submit our body to be instruments of righteousness unto God. We're holy. He said forever. Positionally, there's that positional standing and the practical standing. You say, well, what if our practical standing doesn't match our positional standing? I'm getting to that. Look at the word permanence. What was number one? We see a, then number two, God provided a, now look at the permanence. Verse 11, the permanence. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering sometimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Day after day after day after day, hour after hour after hour, they would make one sacrifice after another, after another, after another. Uh, One writer said that on the Day of Atonement, there was up to 350,000 lambs sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. That that, that the, 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 the blood would run out through special channels and would end up in the Brook Kidron and would flow almost like a river. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But watch, but watch. 
Verse 12, but this man, those priests standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices over and over and over again. And why did they have to do it over and over again? Because they could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, what did he do? Sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected them that are, or excuse me, he hath perfected forever. Can't leave that out. Good gracious. I almost left that out. Perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities. I will remember. Look at this. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Let's go through our notes. Let's go through our notes. First of all, 11 and 14, in the permanence, when I'm, when I'm referring to permanence, the permanence of our salvation, the permanence of our sanctification, the permanence of our forgiving. We, we can see this. We can see this in these verses. There's no question about it. Now, we don't have to do something over and over and over and over again and keep coming back to the temple, keep bringing a, a sacrifice. Why? Why? Here's the thing. Look, look at A. Write this down. There is one offering. One offering. Verse 11 and 14. You see, this, the, these priests could never stop. Their, their job was never finished. It was never complete. It was only temporary. But this man came. This man came. And he offered one sacrifice. You know why he only offered one? That's all it took. He got the job done. We see one offering. B, we see a seated priest. A seated priest, verse 12. He sat down. Now, you remember what we said last week when we put the picture, when we put the picture of the sanctuary up there? We had the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden candlestick. What did we not have in there? A chair. They could never, because their work was never, are y'all with me? Jesus died on a cross, and he cried, it is, when he cried, it is finished, and gave up the ghost, the veil in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom. Preacher, what are you saying? It's permanent. He doesn't have to do it again. He got the job done. He got the job done. <laughs> yes, amen. I know where I'm going. Amen. Watch this permanence is seen in the one offering. This permanence is seen in the seated priest. The permanence is seen evidenced by the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 15. <clears throat> Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness. 
a witness. You say, what do you mean? Well, before their covenant, in them other two verses, you'll find that their covenant was on the outside. The law was on the outside, on tables of stone, right? Listen, the old covenant in the old way, in the old testimony, it was, listen, he wrote out this law, now do it. Do the best you can. And, and it was dependent on their own obedience and faithfulness, and guess what? It didn't work. And that was the point. God wanted to show them that you cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. You cannot follow the law. You're a sinner. And so what did he do? He said, instead of putting it on tables of stone, I'm going to put it in their heart. And the moment you get saved, you are filled, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Why, why do you think, why do you think that, that when you go and get saved and after you get saved, you go and do something stupid, what happens? Somebody is a witness. Somebody witnesses to you that you ain't the same person. You can't keep doing that. You are holy. You are set aside. You are not your own anymore. Hello. The Holy Spirit. So how do you know you're going to heaven? The Holy Spirit won't let me forget. I have that witness. Listen, it's written on my heart. I don't have, I don't have to have something on the outside telling me right and wrong. I know when I do right and wrong because there's a witness on the inside of me testifying and saying, hey, boy, yeah. that ain't what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Permanence, permanence. Evidence by the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. But then verse 18. Verse 18. Excuse me, verse 17. I don't know how I got all these typos in here. Verse 17. Actually, it's 17 and 18. D, put, put 17 and 18 at D, because both of those cover that verse. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, what's the difference? <laughs> Why did the high priest have to come every year? Because God remembered their sins and iniquities. And that mercy seat cried out for sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Now watch. In this new covenant, what we have now, our sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now let me, let me clarify something so you don't think God... Is, is like a senile old man up there and can't remember stuff. God knows everything you've done, will do, thought about doing from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's been at the beginning of your life. He's been at the end of your life. He's been at the beginning of creation and the history of humanity. He's been at the very end. He said, how do you know he's been at the very end? How in the world do you think he was able to give the revelation to John? He's already been there. He's Alpha and Omega. He knows everything. What does it mean then that he forgets our iniquities? It means he no longer holds them against you. That's what that means. 
He no longer holds you, them against you. Thank the Lord. Now watch this. So what happened when Jesus offered that one sacrifice, when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, this is what God did. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, that's talking about our sins. Our sins have been uh, uh, taken away. There is no more There's no more offering for sin. The requirement is removed. No more more lambs have to die. No more sacrifices have to be made. The requirement has been removed. All right, so we see the permanence. All right, number one, there is a problem. Number two, God made a? Our provision is permanent. Then number three. Four, we see a promise. We see a promise. Because of a permanent holiness and standing with God, we see a promise given in verse 19. Having therefore, now remember, remember therefore, you go back and read what he's fixing to tell you, what it is. Because you have forgiveness, because your sins have been remitted, they have been taken away. Your sins are not covered. They have been completely removed as far as uh, uh, the, the Old Testament says, as far as the east is from the west. They've been removed from you. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And because of that, we have, <coughs> we have this promise, verses 19 through 25. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? You remember that we were seeing that picture of the sanctuary. Remember that sanctuary in the first section, in the first little room was the holy place where the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the, the, the golden candlestick. And then there's that curtain. Oh, I got some people that love their preacher. Thank you, Brother Barnes. Right here. Can y'all see that over there on that side? Is that, is that clear? Enough? Okay. Now watch this. When you go in that first, it's called the holy place. But then you have that, you have that veil, that curtain where the Ark of the Covenant is. That is the most holy place or the holy of holies. You remember, any priest could come in here, the designated priest could come in here and serve, and they did it every day continually over and over and over and over and over. But nobody could go through there. Nobody could get into the Holy of Holies except the high priest and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. But watch what it says now. Because our sins have been removed. Now, remember what happened? You remember what happened? When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The final sacrifice is made. The final offering has been given. No more sacrifices had to be made. That veil ripped from the top to the bottom. I heard somebody say this. It didn't rip from the bottom to the top because God didn't want man to take credit for it. God ripped it. And by the way, if you study that veil, I mean, when we was in, I remember this when I was in elementary school, we studied the thickness of that veil and what it would have taken to rip that. I mean, it's like mules. Certain uh, teams of mules could not rip it apart, but God can. Now watch this. God did not rip that so his glory and presence could get out. It wasn't so God could get out. It was so we, are y'all with me? And have fellowship with him and have communion with him 
and have relationship with him. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Therefore, therefore, brethren, we have boldness. Now they wouldn't dare try to go in before because God would have killed them dead. But now he says we can do it boldly. We can do it boldly. Listen, my, my kids, my kids, my wife, they'll come down the hallway. They don't knock on my door. They just roll right on in there. Now, my staff don't. My staff don't. I, and, you know, I, I don't care one way or another, but they, they, they know this is a preacher's office. But not those in relationship with me. They just come right on in there like Kramer. Say amen. You know why? Because they're in relationship with the one in the office. And God is saying, listen, I don't want you to be afraid anymore. I don't, I don't want you to worry anymore. I don't want you to be at a distance anymore. I want you to come on in. Come on in. Boldly come. Boldly come. Say amen. Oh, yes. This is good. Look here. By, now, watch this now. This is important. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say he is. Now watch. What does that mean? That there's a new veil. There's a new veil. You see, the old veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. It was taken away. You see, the veil separated man from God. The access, the access to God was you had to go through the, the veil. But the Bible says now Jesus is that veil. There is no, there is no veil there any longer. You just have Jesus standing there. So that teaches us that if we're going to have access to the holiest of all, if we're going to have relationship with God and a closeness with God and a fellowship with God, the only way to get access is through. Because he's the veil. He, man, yes, yes. Watch this. Watch this. Having a high priest over the house of God. All right. I about, about got ahead of myself. Here, let me write this down. What's the promise? Because of our sins being remitted, our sins being taken away, completely removed from us, we have a promise of access. Write that down. A, there is an access and an advocate to enjoy. The access, verse 19 and 20, the advocate, look what it says, verse 21, and having an over the high priest is our, our Lord. He's there. He's the one that's provided the access, and he is the one that's providing the advocacy. Can I believe I got that word right the first time? You know what an advocate is? It says, if any man sin, I think First John, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the one that goes on our behalf. Are y'all with me? 
<laughs> yes, yes, yes. Look here. We have an access and advocate to enjoy. Then B, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful to promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and see, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what is the promise? Access and an advocate to enjoy. But then there is an action to employ. Actually, it would be actions, plural. But there's an action to employ. Because we have access. Because we have access. Verse 22, let us. Okay, let me, let me do it again. Look here. Because we have access, let us. Now watch this, guys. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Y'all looking? In the back, wave at me. Bleach, is that you way back there? Back row, Baptist. Watch this. Just because we have access don't mean you're in there. He's provided the access. Now he's saying, y'all, what did he say? Y'all draw near. Come on. Does he not say draw nigh unto God and he will? Now he's made the access available, but it's up to you to draw near. That's the action we have to take. Draw near in faith. Now watch this. There's two things I want you to see. Remember I said I was going to add a little bit more to that sanctified thing? Look what it says. Let us hold fast. No, back up. Verse 22. <clears throat> Let us draw near with a true heart in full, what's that word? Of faith. You know how we do that? You know how we do that? Watch this next, this, this next part of this verse. It'll tell you how to do that. How you can draw near, you can just come right on into the Holy of Holies with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now watch this. Some people make the mistake and think that's referring to baptism. It has absolutely nothing to do with baptism. You remember, he's talking to people who are familiar with the old way. And what was the old way? What did the priests have to do? What did the priests have to do before they could go into the holy place? Now, it's not seen in that picture, but on the outside of that room, on the outside of that room in the courtyard, there is a laver. A laver is a big tub of water, big old humongous bowl of water, right? a brass laver, and in that was clear water, clean water. And those priests, they had to constantly over and over and over go to that laver and wash. They would wash their feet. They would wash everything because in the process of their service, in the process of their work, they would get 
excuse me, <coughs> they would get dirty. And that sprinkling of blood is in reference to salvation. But the water is in reference to the, the cleansing of God's word. In other words, you need to be positionally sanctified and practically sanctified if you expect to draw near with full assurance of faith. Y'all get that? Let me give you some verses to show what I'm talking about. We got to hurry. 1 Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. In other words, there is a type. There is a type. In the Old Testament sacrifice, they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar. All right? They would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and that would cover your sin. Well, symbolically, Jesus, when he died, he sprinkles your heart with his blood washing your sin away. Okay? Are y'all with me? So that first phrase is in reference to salvation. How do we draw near into the holiest of all with full assurance? We have to be saved. We have to be saved. We have to be born again. But what else? Look what, it, look what that water, look at that water, the washing of the water. Look what it says. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the, by the word. Did he not say in John 15, ye are clean through the word which I give unto you? Y'all with me? What does that mean? It, it, it is simply in a nutshell. You need to be saved and you need to be following that book. You cannot, you cannot draw near in full assurance of faith just because you're saved. You can be born again and going out there and living like the devil. Don't expect, if you cuss everybody from here to 31 because of road rage, don't expect to draw near in full assurance of faith. If you treat your wife terrible all the time, you can be saved and be that ignorant. It's easy. Come on, man, testify. You can be saved and be stupid at the same time. But don't, don't expect to go in with full assurance of faith. What do you mean? You need to be saved and clean. Amen. You need to come to God and say, God, purge me. Amen. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. Take the word of God and wash yourself in the word. Read that word. Study that word. Believe that word and practice that word. Amen. And then you can come boldly. Amen. Boldly. Listen. There, there. I'm not going to have time to do this. I probably don't need to because I, I need to really hunker down in this next one. Let me, let me just continue on while I'm on this deal. We'll, we'll, we'll finish the second two. We're going to finish this one tonight, but the second two, last two points we'll get to next week. There is a difference. There is a difference in coming home when you got an A and when you got an F. Are y'all with me? 
One, you come in boldly. Y'all with me? You can't wait to get in there. You are anticipating good things. But when you got that F, you don't even want to go in there. Y'all with me? Well, I don't know. I'm just not close to God. There's a reason. Let me say this. Everybody look at me. You may not be close to God, but it ain't because he don't want you to be. Every person in this room is as close to God as they choose to be. You choose to be. And I'm including myself in that. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm learning just as much as you guys in here. Say, so if you want to come boldly, if you want to come in full assurance of faith, be saved and be right. Be right. One man said it this way. Keep a, keep a short account with God. You need to ask him every morning, God, is there anything between me and you? We call it in DMD, we call it untying our sails. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit is it, it, the, 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 the picture we, we teach our, our Timothys is that sailboat. All right, that wind fills the sail and moves the boat. The Holy Spirit fills us and moves us, but he can't move as if the sail ain't up. And you can't put the sail up if you are, if you are hindered and tied. Let us, let, us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. Untying that sail off of that mast, untying that sail is when we come to God for forgiveness and say, God, cleanse me. God, forgive me. Forgive me my attitude yesterday. Forgive me my words yesterday. Forgive me for what I did in traffic yesterday. Forgive me for what I said to my, my, my spouse yesterday. God, cleanse me. I don't, think, I don't think many Christians, modern-day Christians, understand the significance of that. You will next week. When we get to that next point, you'll understand how important it is to be right with God. Listen, if we're going to go boldly, we have to be right. We have to be clean. We have to come to God and say, God, what, forgive me of anything that's going to hinder me to be able to have full assurance to come in. Are y'all with me? And, and let me say this too. While we're here, a lot of times, a lot of times, and I've, I've, I've seen this, I've seen this on social media one time. It said, we should have the relationship, such a relationship with our kids that if our kids get in trouble, they don't say, I hope my parents don't find out. They say, I got to run and tell them because they're going to help me with this. And that's the way we need to be with God. When we mess up, we don't need to run from God. We, we don't need to say, I hope God don't find out. He knew it before you did it. You need to run to him. Saul, here's the difference between Saul and David. David did way worse than Saul did. But Saul ran from God and David ran to God. Are y'all with me? There's a big difference. 
And so let's, let's run with full assurance. We have an opportunity and a privilege to run with full assurance. Verse 23, he said, let us draw near in verse 22. Verse 23, he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Now that word faith, that word faith in the context of this verse is hope, is hope. In other words, he's not saying, he's not saying, hold on to your faith. You might lose it. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't lose hope in the one you put your faith in. Hold on to hope. Because if you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven forever. Once and for all. So you really don't have to hold on to that. What he's saying is hold on to your hope. The hope you have in the one you put your faith in. I know you're going through a hard time. I know you're being persecuted. I know it's difficult. I know you're ready, listen, to throw in the towel, but hold on to that hope. By the way, our hope that God has given us is the thing that gets us through. Amen. Hurry, hurry. The action to employ, draw near in faith, hold fast to hope. And then consider one another in love. Look what it says in verse 24. And did y'all catch that? Did y'all catch that? Faith, hope, and charity. Y'all know. 1 Corinthians 13. Now abideth these. Isn't that amazing how that just lines up? Verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Now watch this. Here's the action we need to take. Uh, the reason they had gotten to this point, I wish we could have gotten that next point because it really ties it in, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that next week. But they were drifting from the word. We, we studied that in the very beginning of Hebrews. There was a drifting. There was a despising. There was a doubting. You know, everything had to do with their relationship with God's word. And they got to this point because they were neglecting, they were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. People don't just walk out on God overnight. People don't just fall out of church overnight. They start missing here and missing there. They were faithful to everything, every service, every, every activity. Then little by little, they started forsaking. And he said, you guys are struggling with what you're struggling with because you have forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. And he, he even tells us why it's so important to assemble together. Because in the assembly is where you find encouragement. In, in the assembly is where you're challenged and, and convicted to love one another and, and encourage one another and help one another. In our training, in our training center, uh, my Sunday afternoon training center, 
there's, there's, there's a family in, in that training center that's got a son that they're praying for, really burdened about. He, he come to my mind this afternoon and for some reason God put him on my mind. So I started praying for him and I, I shot an email to our, our group, uh, our, our, our group thing on, on the, not email, uh, text to our, our group thing. And I said, Hey, I got so-and-so on my mind. I'm praying for him. Let's just all say a prayer for him today. And they started chiming in, praying right now, praying right now, praying. What is that? We're encouraging one another. That was an encouragement not to each other just to, to love on this guy and pray for this guy and intercede for this guy, but it was an encouragement to that family that, hey, you're not in this thing alone. We're in this thing together. We're going to bear this burden with you. And you're struggling with what you're struggling with. God, you, you, if you're watching online and, and you've been laying out and you haven't been coming and you're wondering why it's so important to gather together, well, I can just watch on TV. Yeah, but you can't shake their hand. you're not considering them. You're not even considering yourself. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I didn't realize this as great as I did than when we went through COVID. And I came in here to an empty building. God touched me to be able to preach, but it was not the same. It was not the same. It was an empty building. I, I, I knew y'all were watching. Y'all were commenting, I'm watching. Y'all were encouraging, and y'all were praying out there and doing all of that. But the first time I saw one of y'all in chambers, I was coming out, and one of you was coming in, and I saw you, and I gave you a big old bear hug, mask and all. Before I even caught myself. I didn't even, just because I had missed you guys. Because there's more that happens in here than hearing a sermon and singing a song. Well, I hadn't been doing that. Well, get to it. Start asking people, how are you doing today? Start asking. When you run into people in here, hey, hey, say this. Is there anything I can pray for you about? What can I pray for you? What can I help? What burden can I help you carry today? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And you know what he's saying? If you hadn't have been laying out of church, you'd have been getting the encouragement you need and you wouldn't be doubting right now like you doubting. And you wouldn't be in danger of what you're fixing to get next week in that next point. That's what he said. Stand up. We're late. All right. I would encourage you to go read the rest of that chapter and we'll cover, we'll cover those two, two points because it's two-sided. First, he really, he really deals with punishment and then he ends it with the last section with encouragement. And a lot of, a lot of people misinterpret this section of Hebrews thinking it's speaking to lost people, but he's not. Because the language is so powerful. Fiery indignation. You connect that to hell and lost people. But then he follows it with God will judge his people. So all I'm saying is this. We need to be right with God. 